Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Moth Radio Hour is true stories told live without notes. And of course, you can hear it weekly here on uh, Utah Public Radio. Uh, The Moth Main Stage, that's the live show that uh, those radio shows are based on, is coming to Logan. Moth Main Stage will be at the Ellen Echoes Theater on October 21st. And in conjunction with this, UPR and Cash Arts are presenting 15 Things Utahns Can't Live Without in a Pandemic, which in turn is based on NPR's 15 Things Folks Can't Live Without in a Pandemic. It's about the power of storytelling and how it can be a catharsis and a way of processing as we collectively deal with this ongoing global pandemic. The project will culminate in an exhibit of work at the Ellen Echols Theater during the Moth Main Stage and an exhibit during the December Gallery Stroll in Logan. And so we're going to talk about this, uh, and uh, we include in this discussion UPR Membership Director Katie Swain. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be with you today. Good to uh, talk to you in this setting. Um, Cash Arts Executive Director Wendy Hassan is joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Um, photographer Mary Maria Ellen Hubner is uh, with us. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Tom. Thank you. Good to, good to have you with us. And Kate Markman is with us in studio as well. She's one of Maria uh, Ellen Hubner's students, and we'll uh, talk about her involvement. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Let me start with you, uh, Katie Swain. Um, talk about the NPR project, 15 Things Folks Can't Live Without in a Pandemic. And if people want to play along at home, you can just Google 15 Things Folks Can't Live Without in a Pandemic, NPR. So tell us about this project. So NPR a few months ago published this article, and um, they featured the work of Paula Zuccotti, and she is a London-based Argentine anthropologist. Um, This project she started was back in April 2020 with her own image of 15 things, and she put out a call on social media just saying, what are the 15 things that are helping you get through this right now? And um, because she's an anthropologist and, uh, you know, was really interested in this and was amazed with the responses that she got, she decided to make it a much bigger project. So she compiled the responses she got, uh, which were over 1,000 in number and from 50 different countries, put them together into a searchable archive Um, which she titled LockdownEssentials.org, and you can actually look up that as well. And then NPR um, featured her her work on this article. And um, that's where where I came in and and saw this. And um, we looked at this here at UPR and Cash Arts, Wendy and I, and thought, this is incredible. We need to create a little microcosm of this for here in Utah. And, and find out what the 15 things are that Utahns can't live without during a pandemic. So what were some of uh, Paula Zuccotti's so 15 things, things? Things that come up all the time in these, in these images are, um, you know, things having to do with, with food, with cooking, um, things having to do with comfort, um, things having to do with media. Uh, that's a huge one. So books, movies, TV, um, your computer, your phone, um, you know, and, and and so a lot of things that I think we all related on, you know, we were all at home watching TV, baking, wearing comfortable clothes. We were trying to figure out how to exercise at home. So you see a lot of, um, you know, 
weightlifting materials or running shoes. People were doing that. Um, and then you see, because it's f from all over the world, you see so many different things that you don't expect. One of the one of the images that NPR features in the article um, is an image, um, I'm forgetting the country, but it's a bowl of ants, right? So that was a comforting snack for that person and not something that would have been on my list, but um, a really interesting item or, you know, musical instruments that people picked up or that were they, they re-picked up. Um, that was a common thread. Um, and then people were also just extremely honest in these images. One of my favorite ones was um, an image people, some, I think within the image there were things like a karaoke mic, um, eye makeup, and then a dildo, right? So very honest in these images and, and funny as well. I'm seeing one uh, image here includes a power drill and an avocado. So, you know, just, uh, uh, just anything that's important to you, right? Exactly. Things that, not necessarily new things. I think that was that was an important thing. Not not necessarily things that you acquired during the pandemic, but things that took on new meaning. Um, and Zuccotti, she she says an interesting thing. She dubs this practice of looking at our our things as potential artifacts as future archaeology, uh, which I think is really interesting. We don't necessarily. Um, in the moment, think about this is archaeology, but it absolutely is. And even as as I looked at this and I thought about my own 15 things, um, I realized how much I had already forgotten over these last 18 months. And um, it was kind of this reawakening and, oh my goodness, there's so much I need to actually reprocess about everything that's been so difficult about this pandemic and um, moments that were just so wild and so crazy that happened, like the toilet paper shortage, right? On my list of 15 things would absolutely be a roll of toilet paper because <laughs> for a time there, it just really took up so much brain space. Like, where am I going to get the toilet paper? Do we have enough? Are the stores stocking it? And you could almost forget about that because it was such a weird blip. But then looking at these images and then thinking back, um, you're kind of processing that and remembering it again and acknowledging, yeah, that was a really weird time and also a really difficult time. Did, uh, for you personally, Katie, um, I'm guessing maybe these are snapshots, right? So what your 15 things maybe a year ago, and it's a little depressing to acknowledge the pandemics <laughs> while we're a year and a half in, right? So maybe a year ago versus now, the, the might have been a different 15 things. Definitely, Tom. I think it's changed a lot. And the way that I thought about this, um, I mean, it was, for me, it was extremely emotional when I looked at this. Instantly, as I started scrolling through the images, I just started to cry and, um, because for me, when I started thinking about my 15 things, I started thinking about the early pandemic, which is what I think a lot of these images were, um, where the call out started in April 2020, which is very early on. So I created mine based on kind of that first summer, uh, the summer of 2020. Um, but as I've continued to think about it and think about how things have changed, um, I've also started to think of kind of like a shadow list of items, uh, the 15 
like unessential things, if you will. So maybe the 15 things that we've stopped using during this pandemic. So um, there are so many things, you know, that we picked up and became reacquainted with, but there were also so many things that we put down and didn't touch for so long. Um, and, and maybe we've picked them back up now, now that we're in this new phase of the pandemic, like you said, where we're trying to create a new sense of normal, um, or things that we've just still never picked up and maybe never will again. So like on my list, for instance, mascara, I've put that down and I don't know if I'll ever pick it up again. It's always kind of bothered my eyes. And this was just that little moment where I've given myself the freedom to never pick it up again. But other things like a day planner, which I put down and didn't use for a while just because there wasn't enough going on in my day to use one. Um, Now I've picked it up again because in this new stage of the pandemic, we are doing things. We're learning how to do things safely and we have a vaccine. Um, So I've picked that up again, but for a while there, that was a pandemic unessential for me. That's a day planner. You you just kind of went more with the flow during the height of the pandemic? Yeah, I just, (laughs) I didn't have, you know, I didn't have um, outings with friends planned. I didn't have, you know, uh, I wasn't traveling. I wasn't, you know, doing little lunch dates and and stuff like that. So my day was really centered around home or maybe, you know, I'd go on a walk or go to the park, but not enough for me to keep a day planner. So for months on end, I have this day planner that's just empty and I haven't gotten rid of it because I think it's kind of this interesting bit of the pandemic that I might want to, I don't know, pick up and, and look back on it one time and say, what a weird time of my life that was when, you know, I didn't even need a day planner. There was so, not that there was nothing going on, but nothing nothing outside of my tiny little bubble at that moment. Yeah. Oh, let me move to uh, Wendy Hassan, and we'll, we'll come back around and, we'll, you know, ask people if they want to, on the panel here, to share you know, some of their 15 things. Uh, certainly, we're... Uh, Throwing that out to, to you, um, and you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com, or you can call 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. I'd be very curious to, to hear at least one of your items, your 15 things that uh, you can't live without uh, uh, in the pandemic. Um, so, Wendy Hassan, uh, we've, uh, Katie's been talking about uh, the NPR project, 15 Things Folks Can't Live Without in the Pandemic. Uh, and then we made a transition, decided to uh, to adapt this to 15 things Utahns can't live without in a pandemic. Tell me a little more about the project. Absolutely. So it's a wonderful way of storytelling. We, with the Moth, of course, have been thinking about oral storytelling. But the things we surround ourselves with, the things that are essential to us, the things that are our material culture and our, you know, comforting blankets, no less, those things speak to us in ways that are not words, but sometimes even more meaningful. So we're very excited to be embarking on this project and to bring in some great community partners and to hear from people here and allow more pathways into that storytelling. Uh, So how will this work? 
What, so, what are you asking people to do? We're inviting people to choose their 15 things, their 15 essential things at this point now that we've uh, – like Katie said, we're a little into the pandemic now and find those things that are essential to you, that you are finding meaning from, that are giving you comfort, that are challenging you and put them into an image and send those to info at cashearts.org or to Utah Public Radio. And we will be curating from those an exhibit that we will be sharing at the Moth Storytelling at the Moth Main Stage in the lobby of the Ellen Eccles Theater on October 21st and also in the December gallery walk. Fascinating. Um, so Wendy, can you share, uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, can you share at least one that might be on your list of 15 things? <laughs> this is very difficult for me because my husband and I are material people. He is a set designer. And so things are, sur- we surround ourselves with things. And if I had to pick just 15, it's so challenging. Definitely a good pair of walking shoes and definitely a hard car, a hard back copy of a book. You know, I just love to have a, and not any particular book, but some book I haven't read yet. Yeah. Yeah. Those, I think I agree with that as well. You know, I've been thinking about uh, what would be on my list. One would be, um, I don't know how you would uh, display this photographically, would be a handshake. Um, It's, I I miss shaking hands. I I miss hugging, (laughs) you know, I miss that contact. But uh, for example, it, uh, at church, we go through this uh, this weird dance, you know, where, you know, some people say, uh, reach out their hand and are we shaking hands? No, maybe we're bumping fists. It's kind of awkward. You know, it's the pandemic's made us awkward. It has. It's the age <laughs> of awkwardness. Yeah. My favorite is that like a toe tap because it allows you to pull back from the person, but also kind of almost dance and sort of still be friendly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A toe tap. Very good. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You'd have to uh, have to. Uh, um, you know, figure out how to do that photographically. Well, uh, I want to turn to photographer Maria Ellen Hubner, and she could maybe advise me on how do I get that handshake. Maybe just a just a photograph of a handshake, right? Um, so, uh, Maria Ellen Hubner, um, let me just uh, get a little bit of your background. Uh, I'm reading your bio on your website, which is by the way is MariaEllenHubner.com. Uh, you say I really did grow up on a potato farm in beautiful Midwest America. My mother, a Mexican migrant worker from the South. My pops, a first-generation German farmer making his way. That's a very interesting uh, background, Riel and Hubner. Um, so you, uh, you said you found your true love early on, art, then photography. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you find art and then photography? I was fortunate enough to, be, to have many siblings, and we were always looking for things to do. So we were always drawing, going outside, finding things, making things. And so we kind of fed off of each other. And my parents were great at letting us um, do that. Um, so, yes, I did grow up on a, on a potato and cranberry farm um, in the Midwest. And I had a couple of great parents that kind of showed us the way. In your bio, this is intriguing. Uh, maybe just have a, give me a couple of the, the very briefest uh, p- uh, part of the story. Their love story, you say your parents, is a great one. If interested, ask me about it. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't resist. Uh, just give me the the very uh, very briefest version. Tom, it is it is an interesting one. Um, it is a long one, but it is interesting. Um, my dad actually. Um, was a uh, farmer, and my mother was one of the families that actually worked on 
on his farm from year to year. And then one year, um, my mom's family didn't come back. And my dad, of course, was interested in my mother. And then the following year, he went looking for her in his Thunderbird white convertible. And so he drove <laughs> all the way to uh, Laredo, Texas, looking for her. He just had a little address on a little piece of paper, and he found her. Um, and then a, a few years after that, they got married. It, it's it's a much longer story, <laughs> um, and it's it is interesting. Um, but he 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 found her, and so that was actually one of the great parts of of their love story. Oh, that's wonderful. He he got any Thunderbird, and he went looking for her. <laughs> that's right, oh, all that's, the way from Wisconsin that's to that's great. Yeah, the border. Uh, so tell me about your your photography. What uh, what are some of the themes that you keep coming back to? Do you think? Well, one of the things um, I, I'd like to say first is that the camera um, and photography has gotten me through this pandemic, and so that kind of is kind of why I'm sitting right here right now. Um, and um, photography, uh, in general, has been a great love of mine. And um, the street is is a, people in the street is is something that I that I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for. Um, you know, people, and I, I like to learn about what they're doing, what they're, what they're eating, you know, what they're seeing, um, and so I feel really comfortable just being around people I don't know, and using the camera as a storytelling tool to, uh, you know, um, share imagery with the world um, that I see every day. You've, uh, I want to uh, concentrate on uh, Portrait uh, Porch Project, have you tell me about that, but you've been involved in uh, some very interesting uh, uh, projects. Uh, I'm seeing some titles here on your website, Highlands of Guatemala, Copper Canyon, Mexico, just some, some very interesting projects. Anything you want to mention in, in particular? Uh, well, travel has been a big part of the the way that I've worked. Um, so, and, and, and actually education. So with that, um, uh, this travel and research kind of came hand in hand, and so I've been very fortunate to to not only be adventurous, but um, to be able to go to different locations. Um, some of it research based, and other others assignment work. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting life so far. Um, and that's kind of what led me to um, the project that you just spoke of um, the of the porch project. Um, you can add that right into the mix of the different assignments that I have um, either been given or created for myself. Uh, so tell me about the uh, Portrait Porch Project. Well, it, it kind of came by accident almost. And, um, you know, originally um, it I saw it, the project was actually being done all over the world. People were actually making images of people from afar. Um, on, on their porches, um, staying six feet away, wearing masks, different things like that. And I was teaching a class at USU, um, and I thought that I'd, I'd tr- give it a go because um, I was going to meet with them in, in seven days, and I wanted to start a project and actually share it with them to show them that even though we were stuck um, on Zoom, that we could still actually do some uh, interesting work just outside our doors. So uh, in in seven days, I photographed seven of my neighbors on their porch from afar, um, and then I edited the images and then created a collection for my uh, photography class at USU 
to take a look at and discuss. Um, and so that's actually how it started. Um, it was all to inspire my students in my photography class that became a Zoom class. Um, and then we had an interesting discussion, and then it just uh, flourished after that. And I thought, gosh, I can't stop. I have to keep going, not only for my students um, to see that this project could be uh, bigger than, you know, than we thought, um, but it just it helped me and my uh, seven-year-old daughter at the time have something to do. And we felt like we had purpose and um, we got to see people. So it was, it was a big deal. It helped us get through the pan- early days of the pandemic. I imagine this was a connection, very powerful and very needed, right? This was a connection for you. Oh, oh definitely. And some of the people that we visited were so happy to see my daughter and I. Um, you know, it was, it was really, uh, you know, touching and inspiring to know that a simple portrait from afar could mean so much, not only to them, but to myself and my daughter. I noticed in the, the these images, there there's the images of the folks, the people, mostly on porches, right? But uh, there, there's also appear to be um, handwritten notes. Yes, that, that actually um, came after the photographs were actually made. So one of the things that happened with those particular photo shoots was I would go to their place and I would only spend about 20 minutes and I would make the image that was on the porch or at the front door and then I would actually you know walk around a bit around the house and kind of see what other things they had and how else I could make imagery. Um, so the 20-minute photo shoot turned into a short photo essay about um, each family and the place that they lived. I tried to uh, find and um, meet people from, you know, across the board. You know, I, I didn't, you know, a lot of the people I did not know, um, and, and some of them I did know. And so it became a little bit of a, um, a story using images. The, the base of the story was the, the door or the porch, family portrait, and then it became um, a collection of, you know, smaller bits and pieces from around their home that became one. I'm ready. This one touched me. This is uh, Kay Weichel, um, who, who writes here uh, on a on a page with it looks like some watercolor, um, maybe maybe an image of a rainbow. So they talk about this. So they say there will always be darkness. There will always be more rain after the storm has ceased. We need to search for the rainbow between those moments. That's uh, that's quite beautiful. Yes, and actually, I missed on, on talking about the writings a bit. I was trying to get there. Um, the writings were really a powerful piece, and I believe that was Treya that actually created that watercolor um, piece with the writing. And so one of the things that ended up happening is that, um, you know, the images were really important, but um, I wanted the families to have another part in this by creating their own voice, using their own words, and adding to the actual images. And so um, each piece of artwork or poetry or painting or writing um, end up ended up empowering the portraits even further, taking it to you know another level of a connection. Um, the writings actually were hung right next to the, the photographs, 
And it was really interesting watching people look at the images and then spend a lot of time reading all of the individual writings from each, uh, each family. But I was just uh, I was just scrolling through, um, and I hadn't noticed this image before. It's uh, it's my friend Charlie Heneman. No. <laughs> it's uh, nice to see. That's a nice connection. I haven't seen Charlie for a while, uh, and he's he's there with his family on the porch. Uh, let me turn to uh, Kate Markman. Uh, Kate, tell me just a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a sophomore in the art program at Utah State. Um, I'm from Riverton, Utah. Um, and I've been up here at, at Utah State in Logan for a couple of years, but um, I just am enamored with the arts. Um, I love to draw and paint. Those are my favorite mediums. However, in high school, I was um, more interested in photography. And um, right now I'm taking Maria's uh, photo one class. Um, and that has been a fun reunion to um kind of like a long lost medium for me <laughs> yeah so you 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 did photography then set it aside for a while did you yeah that's yeah. right what uh, so, so tell me about the different uh, media what and what they do what what does photography do that maybe you know the painting doesn't do um i as an artist i i think it's important for me to um continually be feeding my curiosity and um, looking for new ways to see the world. And so um, for a long time, I, I have uh, done that through watercolors. And in the last year, I've really picked up ink drawing. Um, but photography um, is just a new way to to look at the things around me. Um, and I it's fun for me to cycle through mediums and and to to try new ones and return to old ones um kind of to keep my my creative being inside me on my toes <laughs> yeah so i understand you've created uh, an image or two yeah tell me about uh, tell me about this so um when when maria told us about this project um uh she you know, and gave us the rundown of 15 things that to fo photograph. And um, something that actually I picked up in the pandemic was scrapbooking. And um, so we are keeping a journal for this class that kind of um, has a scrapbooky feel to it. And my immediate thought was taking 15 individual snapshots and um, scrapbooking them together. And then once she showed us examples, I was like, oh, that's not really <laughs> the original, um, like picture that came to my mind. But, um, uh, she gave us the creative freedom to do what we want. So that's what I, I did. I took, um, 15 bird's eye snapshots of, um, the objects that were, important to me during this last year and a half, um, along with my feet in every photo. And I compiled them into a scrapbook page. I printed them out and um, had 15 little squares in in the scrapbook page. Did you say along with your feet? Yeah. <laughs> Why did you choose to do that? Um, I think originally it was just kind of like a artistic choice. I liked how it looked. <laughs> um, but as I like thought more about it. Um, this piece had a lot of 
a deeper meaning than I expected it to. Um, and it showed a journey that I've been on in the last year. And I think feet are very, um, a very fitting symbol, um, for a journey. Yeah, definitely. Uh, could, can you share a couple of things on your list of 15 things you can't live without in the pandemic? Yeah. Um, so some things that I have, um, I have a book. Uh, it's hard to tell. It's very little in the image, but I have a sketchbook that I um, began writing poetry in. Um, I have uh, my paints. Um, I, have, I have one of my house plants. <laughs> I think just like a lot of people, um, house plants became <laughs> a way for me to feel like I was... Um, doing something bigger than myself, <laughs> taking care of something else um, in the world. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, we're overdue for a break. So it's uh, before, but before we go to break, uh, um, Katie, uh, do you, do you want to tell us uh, some particulars about this uh, project we're talking about 15 things Utahns can't live without? Um, just that, you know, this is the, the Utah version of this. We are, um, really excited to see how it um, differs and also how it's the same with these images that are um, that were taken around the world. So, um, you know, that that was kind of the point of this is that it's um, the storytelling project and a way to process and um, kind of a cathartic experience looking at these 15 things and also a way to kind of find some community and some connection in these images where there is a similarity in so many of the things that we were doing and so many of the things that we were experiencing um, no matter where you were. And I think especially here in Utah where uh, we had that geographic similarity and um, of course this pandemic similarity, we just want to uh, try and you know, bring some connection, bring some community with this project and with these images. And um, of course, with Maria's work where she is um, kind of extending that pandemic porch project and reaching out to those people to um, engage in this as well and um, try and find, uh, again, just some con connection and community through storytelling with this project. So yeah, we're really excited to uh, keep working on it. And um, lead up to this other story storytelling event of the moth through these images. Well, let's uh, before we go to break, let me uh, put out the appeal to you. Um, love to know at least one of your 15 things you can't live without uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so just to send that to our email, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can call 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. And we have an email that we'll uh, get to right after the break. Hope you'll add your email to theirs. I'd love to know. Uh, you could you could send us all 15 or one or two, but we'd love to know what you can't live without during the pandemic. Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from listeners like you and Auto Evolution, owned and operated by Ron Stagg, keeping Cache Valley automobiles on the road for more than 20 years with service repair and maintenance. Located at 347 West Airport Road in North Logan, 
Information is available by calling 435-753-2521. Did you know that mental health therapy can be just as effective when delivered remotely rather than in person? Acceptance and commitment therapy, a common treatment for mental health challenges such as anxiety and depression, is being delivered through a web app to individuals with limited access to services. This online therapy is easy to access and low cost. Many of us are experiencing a strain on our mental health during this COVID-19 pandemic, and those online tools can help mental health to flourish and can target specific issues as well. When many in-person services have been suspended, remote delivery technology helps provide support to those who need it. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. As you know, the Moth Radio Hour is true stories told live without notes. You can hear it uh, here on Utah Public Radio. Uh, and the Moth Main Stage is coming to Logan. Uh, it's coming to the Ellen Echoes Theater. That's the live uh, show upon which those radio programs are based. That'll be happening on October 21st. And in conjunction with this, UPR and Cash Arts are presenting 15 Things Utahns Can't Live Without in a Pandemic. Uh, it's based on NPR's 15 Things Folks Can't Live Without in a Pandemic. It's about the power of storytelling, how it can be a catharsis and a way of processing as we collectively deal with this ongoing global pandemic. And uh, so we're talking with UPR membership director Katie Swain, Cash Arts executive director Wendy Hassan, photographer Maria Ellen Hubner, and uh, Kate Markman, who's a USU student, one of Maria Ellen Hubner's uh, students. And we hope to talk to you or to read your email. We'd love to know at least one of the 15 things you can't live without in a pandemic. Uh, you can get to us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you could call 800-826-1495. So, Servier has emailed us. He says, one of my 15 items would have to be takeout. Takeout in the park became one of the few ways I saw some friends Dining out with friends and family and eating in restaurants was replaced with takeout. It became something I did more often and replaced a common ritual before the pandemic. Uh, so that I think we can all relate to that. That's a, and we all found ways, right? Uh, Wendy Hassan, uh, I imagine you did as well. Uh, can't go to the restaurant, take out in the park. That's a great solution, Servier. Absolutely, and it also supports the restaurant, so well done. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I'd love to hear yours, uh, your at least one of your 15 things you can't live without, to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, so Katie... Um, Remind us about the Moth Radio Hour, and what you know. Listeners will be familiar with that, probably, uh, but the fact that's based on live shows, right? It is. So the Moth, um, how how they create this show is they have a series of um, story slams, and these are events that are open mic, and people show up to these and can share stories based on really anything, as long as they are true stories about their life, and they present these um, without notes, and um, 
from these story slams, the moth creates these curated shows then called Moth Main Stages. And that is the event that's coming to Logan. Um, Cache Valley Center for the Arts um, is, is bringing them to the Ellen Eccles Theater. And then, of course, the radio program is created and curated from those stories as well. And Wendy, actually, earlier, right before this program started, Tom, reminded us of just the really beautiful way that the moth, uh, the idea for the moth started and how it connects to this program. And Wendy, I'm hoping that you'll share that with us. <laughs> it's so wonderful to see these connections. We are meaning makers, aren't we? We always look for the ties. The moth's inspiration was from the creator's time in Georgia when they would sit on the porch, Maria, and tell stories and the moths would be attracted to the light. And I love this idea of having this cozy in Moving back to virtual programming for a lot of what the moth has done, they've kind of returned to that original idea of of bringing it back to the home, now to a screen in some cases, but to that porch. And we're so excited to extend that porch and actually have a performance in a in a theater again and include more people on the porch. <laughs> yeah. So Maria Ellen Hubner, uh, this uh, connection to the porch and 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 your project, right? Uh, portrait porch. Uh, and this was necessitated, right, by the pandemic, but the porch is a kind of a gathering place, right? It, I guess with this project, you kind of had to be separated, right? You, I don't know, you probably didn't go right up on the porch. Tom, no, um, actually I was um, six feet away or further, so we, we took that uh, safe approach of not getting too close. Um, but yes, it, it was interesting. Um, and there's an interesting con- connection with the the moth programming too as well. So I, I like that connection. Yeah. Um, so tell me about uh, so you. You presented this 15 things uh, project to your students, right? We we talked about Kate's uh, some of Kate's images. What are some other images that you've that stand out to you from from your students? Well, first of all, it was a great um, starting point to the Photography One class. Um, it was kind of an icebreaker. And so the very first day of class, um, we I actually went through a few of the technical uh, concerns on how to actually go about creating an image, a bird's eye view of a collection of things. So um, that very uh, first class, we actually did an exercise, and I asked them to, you know, I told them about the project. I asked them to think about the things that they actually had in their backpack and on hand at the moment, and we did a demo together outside, and they selectively placed various items and then stood over the top and actually made the images. I talked about lighting and different things like that, um, and some of the uh, students actually you know, used some of the same um, things in their final images that they created on their own outside of class. Um, but some of the interesting things would be like um, one student actually used the sofa, the couch, as their backdrop for their items. And that was interesting to me just because I, I didn't think of, uh, you know, the couch as a backdrop, but they said that it actually was a big part of their lives in the, in the last, you know, year and a half. And they spent a lot of time um, doing Zoom classes and, you know, Zoom meetings on the couch. Um, and that was a, a comfortable place for them. Um, water bottles, money, snacks, toilet paper, of course. Um, there was a lot of 
plants, um, different things like that. So um, it was nice to see. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I talked about um, after they completed their um, fif 15 items is that when looking at the final images that they became a self-portrait of them. And so uh, not only was it a story, but it was also self-portraiture, um, which was a nice thing to kind of tie in as a photography teacher. Yeah, self-portraiture. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. By the way, the couch resonates with me. That, that might be on my... <laughs> on, on my or, or maybe I want to get rid of it, right? Because I spent so much time there during the pandemic. Um, I want to turn uh, next again to Kate. Um, what are some other things that, that, that appear in your image of 15 things? Um, I had, it was interesting for me because um, my 15 things spanned the, the pandemic up until where we're at right now in it. Um, so I had, um, kind of like Katie was saying, was common to see. I had running shoes. Um, I had books. Um, I had a smoothie. I, I really got into cooking and baking and um, those things and my headphones and um, my yoga mat, my scrapbook, um, bars of soap. Um, it was interesting, though, All I as I, like, reflected on these, all of them – kind of had like their surface level meaning like you look at a book and or a bar of soap and it's a book or a bar of soap but um it really struck me how a lot of these things had developed deeper meanings um and and meant more than just its surface level to me um throughout the course of this pandemic oh, maybe expand on that how 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 so T take one of those images and and explain how it gain deeper meaning yeah well for all of them I feel like um I'm in my early 20s uh this is a time of uh a lot of self-discovery and transformation for um most people in this phase of my life and so these things really encapsulated that self-discovery and transformation through the lenses of a pandemic. So um, for the bars of soap, um, obviously keeping our hands clean and um, and trying to stay safe and protected from the virus. Um, but at the same time, I um, through the last year, I've um, been educating myself on sustainability and environmentalism. And so I, um, and local economies. So all of these bars of soap are uh, created by local makers. Um, they're plastic free. Um, so they, they, they say more to me than just the fact of keeping germs away. It also, um, it also shows me my uh, gained awareness of my impacts on the planet. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Katie, I want to follow up with, with something you said. Uh, you, you talked about mascara, right? And that this is this is something that you've. This is a, a, apparently a permanent change from from you know, and and I think that's a positive way to look at this, right? There, I'm I'm sure some of these images will be maybe more elegiac, uh, maybe things we've lost, but perhaps some images could be positive steps, things we've learned we can live without, and it's maybe going to make life better. 
I think you're right, Tom. There are there was a lot of moments of kind of aha moments, moments of discovery throughout the pandemic, and not all of them were bad, right? <laughs> Some of them were these moments of you know, this is something that I've been doing or I've been bringing with me um, because of this is just the way that I've always done it or the way that um, I've been expected to do it um, because of society or friends or just media or whatever it is. And um, the pandemic has given us a lot of room to pause. And in some cases, that's been for the better, where we've said, you know, why am I doing this? Um, When you're not in your regular routines, you do have that moment to stop and um, take take assessment of your life and, um, you know, your your regular patterns and routines and decide if you want to to bring them into the next phase of your life. And as you know, mascara is a simple thing. There are obviously a lot larger things that people might have been doing um, and, and that I've been doing as well throughout the pandemic, deciding whether they want to continue doing. But mascara is just one small thing. You know, it's an object. So that makes it easy to, photog- to, to photograph rather. Um, but it was like, you know, it, it bothers my eyes. I don't like it. And but I have been doing it for so many years. And then when we stopped going out so much, I stopped using it and realized, hey, nothing bad happened. You know, the world's not not crumbling because of me not wearing mascara. And so maybe I'm not going to pick up that tube anymore. Maybe this is fine. And I actually like my life better without it. And I might not have come to that realization without the pandemic. So there's one positive at least, right? Yeah, there is exactly. <laughs> we just have about uh, oh uh, four or five minutes uh, left in the in the program. Um, uh, let me go next to to Maria, and then I'll come back uh, at the end here to to Wendy to kind of give us some details. So, um, uh, I wonder, Maria, you're you're going. I uh, understand part of this. You're going back to the folks at the uh, portrait porch. Right? Is that that the case? And I, I, that'll give you a chance, I suppose, to see how things have changed with some yes. of these folks. Yes, actually, this is you know this was a wonderful opportunity to you know relook at um, the community project that we created um, together as a as a community um, in the early days of the pandemic. I met um, and photographed forty four different families in forty four days in a row, um, and the photo shoots were twenty minutes long. And this project um, just seemed like it it would just fit right back into um, this other project that was community-based as well. So the first part of this project was with the USU Photo One students. Um, they kind of set the stage for the, um, the Cache Valley um, collection. Um, and now what I'm doing is I've contacted um, some of the original families from the Community Portrait Porch Project, and we are creating um, imagery of some of the younger um, uh, children that were in, in the families. And I, what I'm doing is using a four by five view camera and going back to the porch, their front doors, and photographing the um, young ones with either one object or many objects that have helped them get through the pandemic. So I'm really excited about that part, um, as well as um, the USU um, students' collections 
So it's another take uh, and a stepping stone um, um, to um, utilizing and, and, and having the community part of this um, project. Yeah, fascinating project. Uh, glad you have you involved. Uh, so just a minute or two left, uh, maybe a good way to end the program here, Wendy, is to give us some details on this on this project. Absolutely. We invite you to participate. So think about those 15 essential things for you. What are the things that you have found meaning in during this time? Take a top bird's eye view image of those 15 things and send it to either info at cashearts.org or katie.swain at usu.edu and we look forward to seeing your contributions and then we hope we will also see you at the moth all right so the the, the moth main stage is coming to logan at the ellen eccles theater um and that's october 21st and when do you, uh, tickets available for that? Tickets are available, and there are additional pandemic protocols, so watch for those on the website. All right. And, of course, this project is uh, 15 Things Utahns Can't Live Without uh, in a Pandemic. Uh, so uh, we, we thank very much our membership director, uh, Katie Swain. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tom. It's been great. Uh, Cash Arts Executive Director Wendy Hassan, thanks. Always a pleasure. Uh, photographer Maria Ellen Hubner, thank you. Thanks, Tom. I'll put in a plug. Uh, you can find Maria Ellen Hubner at her website, mariaellenhubner.com. Right? Um, and uh, one of uh, Maria's uh, students, a USU student, uh, Kate Markman, has joined us. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah today. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. The valley floor and cliffs of Clear Creek Canyon were sculpted over millions of years, and evidence hints that humans moved along its waters as early as 8,000 years ago. You may have driven through this canyon yourself, but do you know the importance of this waterway to the generations of Native peoples who have lived there? Learn more after this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Water is more than a force of nature that shapes our landscapes. How humans rely on this essential resource shapes culture. In Clear Creek Canyon, Fremont and Paiute history show what water means to indigenous peoples, both ancient and modern. The Paiute name for Clear Creek is Red Reed Water, and it has long been a source of life, inspiration, community, and identity. Around 800 years ago, Fremont people settled on Five Finger Ridge, where they grew crops, gathered wild seeds, and hunted along Clear Creek. It was the largest native village in the canyon, and its pit houses sat high above the creek to give residents a good view of travelers below. After the Fremont abandoned Five Finger Ridge around 1350, other native peoples left their mark in the canyon. Hunting parties gathered at streams, knowing that the deer would come. Women collected choke cherries, elderberries, watercress, and willows along the water's edge. People moved seasonally and are connected to the wider native story of Clear Creek because the water shaped their livelihood and travels. Today, the Kusharam Band of the Southern Paiute Tribe live to the southeast of the canyon and the Kanosh Band to the west. For both, water influenced their rock art, their pottery, and their belief systems. 
In fact, water is so central to Paiute identity, it is laced through their own names. In their language, the word Pa means water, and Paiute means water people. The Kusharan band of Paiute were once known as the Water Clover people. The Kanash were known as the Pavants, meaning water is there. Paiutes also use their term for water jugs to refer to themselves, since their people were known for water carriers made from split willows coated inside and out with pine pitch. Where water was, the people gathered. Water is so a part of their life way that when Paiutes now serve as tribal consultants on building projects, the first question they ask is, where is the water? They know that where there is water, their ancestors once were. This episode of the Beehive Archive was contributed by Fremont Indian State Park Museum. Find sources and past episodes at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss. On the next edition of the Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll hear some intriguing collaborations that cross political, ethnic, and religious boundaries to foster peace and understanding between cultures. You'll hear Sting with Italian singer Zucchero, Willie Nelson with Toots and the Maytals, and the Edan Reichel Project. I'm Rosalie Howard. And I'm Dan Storper. Join us for One World, Many Cultures, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Thursday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Natalie Gawkner. I represent the Political Center. Join us for Both Sides of the Aisle from KCPW, a weekly debate over politics, policy, and current issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices representing the right, the center, and the left. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing residents of this state while proving that Republicans and Democrats can sit in a small room and have a meaningful conversation. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at upr.org.